hear that. I pray, Father, that even before the preaching start, Lord, that our hearts be ready to receive, Lord. Father, this message is for you and not for me, Lord. I do not want to be glorified, Lord, in any way, but you be glorified, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that this message would reach the hearts of all my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would feel life in you, Lord. The life, Lord, that you offer is much more than this life on earth, Lord. I thank you, Lord, and I pray, Father, that their minds would be like sponges that would soak up everything, Lord, and that they would live it out. They would speak it out, Lord, and they would act upon it, Lord. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I opened my eyes, and there's a lot of people in here. (laughs) So if you don't know me, I'm the sister pastor here at Hope Center Church. Uh, My name is Aiden. Nice to meet you. Um, I am Mexican and Jewish or Palestinian. Uh, My parents are here, so I'll say Jewish. Uh, And so my classic joke when I first came here was like, I'm Mexican and Jewish. And so in other words, that means uh, double blessing, you know? Um, And so... If you guys haven't been here, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, today's message, can, can I be honest with you guys? Today's message was one of the hardest messages that I've ever wrote in my whole entire life. And I know you guys are probably thinking, well, your life hasn't been very long, Aiden. Um, well, I have a lot more years to go. And so, I mean, <laughs> so it's hard to say, but I've had this love for revival on my heart, and um, I was writing this message, and revival could be such a broad topic, can I be honest with you? And so I wrote my introduction, and I wrote a, punch, a bunch of points, and then I was like, Lord, how about this? And he was like, nope, delete it. I was like, oh, God. And then I write it again, boom, delete it again, and again, I did it again. I had to delete it again. And so I was like, Lord, man, my mind is having a really hard time writing this message. I just love this topic. And so I said, Lord, my words are just words unless you put the power in it. And I just wanna, I just wanna preach to your people and I want them to act upon it, Lord. And so this is what the message came out to. Um, and let's, let's go into, are you ready? Amen. Ready? And so since I could remember, there's been this anticipation for revival around the world. I mean, growing up, there was these constant youth group things that were always called revival, revival for the youth, or revival on fire, or caliente, or I don't know, some fancy word, you know. And um, I remember that there was just this, this want for outpouring, uh, for the outpouring of God to come a- across the earth. And since I've been alive, I, I have yet to see a-, a-, a worldwide revival like they did in the past. But we just recently had something called the Asbury Revival, right? And, and this was a, a service where there was 15,000 people showing up for each service. That's crazy, right? But revival, I, I believe, is, is, is a powerful move of God. It's, it's a shift towards the king in the midst of worldly opposition. And it's the Lord saying, here I am, have you forgotten me? 
And I have to admit, often revival is, is classified as a presentation of God's power that attracts the multitudes. For example, the Asbury Revival, uh, the Zusa Street Revival, the First and Second Awakening, and so many more. But I like to shine light on something. I am going to go against this a little bit as to what revival is. A little spicy. Um, and so what I want to do is, is, is I want to prove to you that revival, these big revivals that you see of multitudes of people often have to start with a personal revival, right? And so the, the purpose of this message is to bring truth to this statement. Revival must start with you before true revival can be brought to the multitudes. Revival must start with you before true revival can be brought to the multitudes. You see, the literal translation of revival is to live again, to return or to restore to consciousness or life, or even the restoration of something to its true nature and purpose. That is the literal translation of revival. Now, Personal revival, uh, a quote that I use that I believe is the definition of personal revival is this. Revival is when we have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in a radical change in our commitment, in our character, and conduct. And that's by Alan Parr. He's a Christian YouTuber. And so you might be asking yourselves, well, Aiden, show me in the scriptures the idea of personal revival. Uh, understandable, right? Uh, it's, it's hard to say where in the scriptures personal revival is a thing that the Lord says to go for. But there's this example in, in Isaiah 57, 15. It says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one that is contri contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. In Psalms 119.25, it says this, I lie in the dust, revive me by your word. As we see in both scriptures, there's a call to personal revival. The Lord's saying he lives with the lowly and the contrite. Someone who, uh, contrite being someone who's ready for repentance in order that their heart and their spirit be revived. The psalmist crying out in desperation, revive me by your word, the word being the truth of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss something. Personal revival and Jesus cannot be two separate things. Jesus must be present in your life in order for personal revival to happen in your life. Personal revival does not happen in your own hands. Personal revival happens in the hands of the Lord. And so oftentimes we can try to get rid of addictions, get rid of sins in our own accord, whether we try to stay away from it, whether we have someone as our accountability, part accountability partner. <laughs> accountability partner. Yet, you will never get rid of the sin unless you have the one who took it for us all, Jesus. Jesus and personal revival cannot be two separate things. They are one thing. And so I had this class in college that was by far one of my favorite classes in college. I mean, my other classes were I, but this class was, I, I loved it. It was called History of Pentecostalism. 
really nice word, right? Sounds really complicated. Essentially what it was, it was, it was a class about the different revivals that have happened in, in the world. And so what's crazy about this is that often these revivals would start with one person doing something in line with what God wanted them to do that then led to revival. Let me give you an example. There is this, this young lady who was in this classroom, and revival was on their hearts, and all she said was the name Jesus, and revival broke out. There was another guy named William Seymour. He was, um, he's considered the, the guy that started the Azusa Street Revival, and he alone went after the heart of God in the midst of segregation and, and went after the heart of God, and then later on, Azusa, the Azusa Street Revival poured out upon the nation. And so we can see that there's these moves of God that happen out of one person's, um, one person's push towards the love of God and towards what God wants them to do. And so these are great revivalists, these are great revivals, but let me give you an example of one person that before the Azusa Street Revival was praying for revival on his knees before anyone had brought it up. And this guy's name was Frank Bartleman. He probably, you probably haven't heard of him. He's probably one of my all-time favorite historical church figures ever to learn from. But I really love this guy because he teaches us what it means to have personal revival. And so this is him. As you, he's pretty scary in this picture because, you know, we don't have the HD yet. Um, but he's a man of God, I promise. So Frank Bartleman was a writer and a minister who had a sincere heart for the Lord and desired to see change come to the church. He moved to Los Angeles on December 31st in 1904 in faith that revival was coming. He had just 50 cents for his family and himself in his pocket. Now, when you're thinking 50 cents, you're thinking like our 50 cents. It was, it was better back then. 50 cents now, I mean, it buys you like maybe a gum packet, inflation, right? Um, and so on January 7, 1905, just a couple days later when he showed up to L.A., he actually lost one of his four daughters to illness. And the crazy thing is how he responds to what happens. He says this, We must see things from the heaven side. Earth's sounds and spirits are so crude and cruel. Heaven is all love and joy and peace, and rest. Thank God, sorrow, and parting there will never more be known. And so throughout this preaching, I'll give you a couple points of how to draw closer to experiencing this personal revival by looking at the life of Frank Bartleman, our brother, and a revivalist in the past. So point number one is see things from heaven's side. See things from heaven's side. And what this means is to look past the things of the world and look to the big picture. Heaven is at the end of our lives, and the things that happen on this earth is temporary to the eternity that we will experience with Jesus in heaven. And now is not the time to be so negative. And now is not the time to be so passive. Now is the time to be on mission for Jesus. Bartleman moved to L.A. with 50 cents, 
His daughter died, and he saw things from heaven's side, and within a week, he was back on the streets preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying to push away your sorrows and your frustrations and forget about them, no. But I'm saying to give it to Jesus, because Jesus will take it for you. It's not okay to live as though we have been disabled spiritually and are unable to do the work of God we have been called to do because of the circumstances of living in a sinful world. I don't know if you remember this. This was a thing in the past in like the early 2000s. It was called Not, Not of This World. And it was like these stickers and all these things. And if you had this sticker that was not of this world, you're like, that's my brother right there. You didn't know who it was, but you're like, that's my brother right there, right? Even if they cut you off, you're like, that's my brother right there, right? <laughs> and it was this big, this big movement. But this comes from John 17. It says not to be of this world, right? That we're not of this world. But let me ask you, why do we so often live by this world? Right? If we're not of it, why do we so often live by it? You see, seeing things from heaven's side is having eternity in mind. This life on earth is temporary in comparison to the things the Lord has in store in heaven. And so oftentimes we'll go through circumstances. I remember I was living in my car during college. Uh, I was commuting and I was working. <coughs> and I remember... I would always focus on the circumstances. Well, this sucks. God called me to do this, and this sucks. But when I realized that eternity does not matter about me, it matters about the king, I realized that it didn't matter the circumstances that I went through. If I had a little bit of money and I was just getting by, what mattered was that I would focus on the king, that at the very end of my life, who's going to be standing there? It's not going to be you guys with me. It's going to be God judging me, right? And what we have to realize is that eternity, when we have it in mind, we're able to say, it doesn't matter if death tries to come against me. Death does not have its sting because I know that the king reigns at the end of my life still. Point number two is develop a life of intercession. Intercession. We don't, we don't really talk about this often in church and so I'm going to try to describe why it's important. Bartleman was expecting a revival to pour out in California before the Zusa Street Revival came and developed a life of intercession through prayer. I mean, there are accounts of this man praying so hard for the move of God to come to Los Angeles. That was, it was almost as if, this, this is a quote, that he cried out like a woman in birth pains. That's how hard he was praying for revival to come to L.A. I'm telling you now, I'm not going to cry like a woman in birth pains. I'm not going to do that. My wife could do that later when she has her baby. <laughs> but the point of this is that Bartleman was crying out to God so, so much in his soul that it was as though he was crying out in birth pains. I mean, how... I've never seen anyone do this, and yet this man with 50 cents in his pocket, with his daughter passed away, with basically nothing, was able to pray to the Lord in this way. Another account says that there was a moment in prayer when Bartleman felt the Holy Spirit, and he says that it, it was like this. In fact, my whole being seemed to flow down before him like wax before the fire. 
I think often we forget to go towards the fire of which we need to melt by. The fire is God, and we are simply the wax that is formed in the way the king wants us to, right? When you see a, a candle wax melt, what does it do? It, it melts into a form because of the fire. We must, in order to have a personal revival, develop a life of intercession, constantly praying. Pray for your family. Pray for change. Pray for lost. Pray for your brothers and sisters on the streets. Pray for the Lord to bring personal revival into you and bring life to you again. And I'm not talking about life with Jesus where you just come on Sundays. I'm talking about a life of Jesus where you live every day in light of who Jesus is and has done for you. I'm not talking about living with Jesus and just living and getting by. I'm saying knowing who Jesus is. And I'm not talking about just reading his word. I'm talking about living his word. If time, often this is the thing that people say, well, I don't have time to intercede for people or pray because I just don't have enough time. If time is a restraint for you to intercede in prayer, then you have lost sight of the lives at stake that are at the center of the king's heart. Right? Are we not supposed to be instruments of the king to reach out to those that are lost? Then why are we not constantly in prayer, right? You don't have time. I mean, I could go in the shower and pray. I, can go, I could go to the bathroom and pray. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. You can pray. I'd rather prayer be a restraint of your time than time be a restraint of your prayer. Because prayer can happen anywhere. I pray for my wife, I pray for my family, I pray for my cousins, I pray for this church and everyone I know, constantly interceding. And where does this importance of intercession come in? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, it says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, and between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Why does intercession have to do with personal revival? Well, intercession is the weapon the Lord has enabled so that you can actively have a part in fighting against the enemy. Not only that, but intercession, prayer intercession, brings life to those that the enemy seems to have won against already. Being active in prayer being active in prayer is a part of being alive spiritually. It's a big part in experiencing personal revival, the coming back to life in the Father. Let's be active in our walk with Jesus, not passive as though you died spiritually. We must be actively fighting for those who are lost. We must be actively fighting for our family. We must be actively fighting for our friends. 
And because you're active, your spirit is active. And because your spirit is active, you are drawing closer and closer and closer to the king. I remember growing up, my, my dad right here with the long beard, <laughs> my dad over here, I remember growing up and um, I was upstairs and at five in the morning, this man was crying like he was giving birth. And um, I remember he was just crying and crying and it was so loud that I thought something had happened, like he fought someone off and like he's crying over it because he lost or something, I'm just kidding, no. <laughs> but I remember going down the stairs and I show up and I was like, what, what's wrong with you? And I remember him saying, I'm interceding for you, your brother, our family, and for my church. No one knew that he was praying, right? His church probably didn't even know that he was praying for, for them in the behind the lines. And these sheep, his, the people in this church probably caused them the most heartache. Yet he was praying for them in the background, he was constantly interceding for him because he understood that in order to have life come to others that are spiritually dead, he must have life in Jesus himself. Point three is be humble and repent. This is a hard one. Be humble and repent. Frank Bartleman once said this, we must keep humble and little in our own eyes. Let us get built up by a sense of our own importance, and we are gone. History repeats itself in this connection. God always sought a humble people. He can use no other. There is much need always of heart preparation and humility and separation before God can consistently come. The depth of any revival will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that obtains. In fact, this is the key to every true revival born of God. Revival will only happen if you learn to repent. What does repentance mean? <coughs> it means that when you sin, take it to God. When you go against your brother or sister, you take it to God. And I think sometimes when we sin, we get in this shameful state of mind where it's so hard to repent. And instead of repenting, the sin is just getting growing. It's just growing and growing and growing until finally it pours out and it crushes our family. In Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn or repent from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. When we humble before Jesus, when we humble ourselves before Jesus, we are called to a greater need of faith that creates the groundwork for repentance and a pathway into personal revival. Repentance, I would describe as a, a spiritual defibrillator. It's a big word. And I we have a defibrillator. I was going to bring one to show you on myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we do have one, but I won't tell you where it is. <laughs> and so repentance is like a spiritual defibrillator. And so you have shame about something. <laughs> Repent, right? You have hatred towards someone. <laughs> Repent. You have unforgiveness towards someone and allowed bitterness to form. <laughs> Repent. You see, humbleness and repentance should not be burdens to you in your walk with the Lord. 
It should be enablers, a shock of revival to your system for you to draw closer and closer to the king to do a consistent good work for the kingdom. We must learn to be humble and repentant. If you look at all the revivalists in history, the number one thing they usually started with was humbleness and then repentance. And then they would draw closer to God. Out of the personal revival Frank Bartleman experienced and seeing things from heaven's side, developing a life of intercession, and being humble and repenting, he was able to experience his own personal revival grow into a revival for the multitudes, the Azusa Street Revival. We can experience personal revival in the same way. Revival must start with you before true revival can be brought to the multitudes. I'll say that again. True revival must start with you in order for it to be brought to the multitudes. As I said in the beginning, and I'll ask this question to you, will you let the revival that stands at the doorstep in front of the house of your heart, will you allow it in? And will you allow it to change you from the inside out? I remember in my own life when I experienced personal revival was when I decided that my God was my own God and not my parents. My parents were doing awesome things for the kingdom, and often I would say, well, I'm just submitting to my parents, and so this is my God. And the moment I realized that my God is my God is the moment I realized that I can have true life with the king. And I think many times we get in this thing where we have to depend on others to we have to depend on others to draw closer to God God will draw closer to you if you call upon God you see God is a personal God and because he's a personal God he desires that you have personal revival that you maybe you were alive in Christ and you felt on fire for God at one point and then now you're in this, this dead desert where you're like, God, where have you been? Where, ha- where have you been? You haven't been talking recently. And then all of a sudden, you feel that revival come back, that personal revival bring you back to life. It's like in Ezekiel when that, that desert was, was brought up to life again. I desire, if I, if I were to get anything, if I want you to get anything out of this message, is that you have the ability to have a personal revival right here, right now, to feel like you have life again, that you're not just getting by life, that life isn't beating you up, that the world isn't beating you up, but instead that the Lord has won already and you are simply accepting the life he has already given to you. Personal revival starts with you, and a revival of the multitudes starts with your simple yes. Remember, it was the few that started these revivals. It was the few that said yes to the Lord. It was the few that caused these revivals to outpour upon the nations. It was the few, and one of the few can be you. That rhymes. (laughs) And so let's pray. Lord, I I thank you, Father, that you are good, Lord, that we can have a personal revival, Lord, no matter if we're experiencing you or we just met you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that 
we would feel alive and we would consistently feel alive. Lord, I desire, Lord, that my brothers and sisters see, Lord, that you are personal and that you have life that they can have right here and right now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this church and that my brothers and sisters from other churches would be the personal revival that allows a revival of the multitudes to happen. I thank you, Lord, that you are good, Lord, that you are life. And I pray, Lord, that this message, this message would stick to them, Lord, and that they would remember that there is always a life waiting for them, Lord, in the hands of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.